This podcast is for educational purposes only. The content of this podcast should not be used to diagnose, treat or cure any medical condition. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has a medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider or seek other professional medical treatment. Welcome to the Healthy Habit Hot Seat, where we chat to extraordinary humans and world-leading health experts to dive deep into the intricacies of the daily healthy habits that have shaped their success. Remember, success leaves clues, right? I'm your host and resident healthy habit coach, Loz Antonenko, and I cannot wait to help you re-energize your life so you too can create opportunity, vitality, and abundance to become the master of your own incredible healthy destiny. Now, let's get into today's conversation. Today, I speak with Dr. John D. Martini, human behavioral specialist, educator, internationally published author, and business consultant. From an early age and through challenging obstacles, Dr. Martini has dedicated his life to the study and understanding of universal laws and how they relate to maximizing human awareness and potential. Having to wear hand and leg braces to correct a congenital disability, overcoming dyslexia and a speech impediment during his schooling years, and suffering strychnine poisoning when he was a teenager, Dr. John Martini is a testament to his quote, it is wise to learn to embrace both sides of life, support and challenge. You are one of the most inspirational people I think I've ever come across in my entire life and it's with deep gratitude that I thank you for coming to chat to me today. Thank you. So you're Dr. John Martini. You've travelled quite a distance to get here to Australia. Welcome to the Healthy Habit Hot Seat. Good. It's a good, good title. I like it. So this is how we're going to start. Imagine we're at the airport and we've only got 30 seconds before you board. What's your most important message for our listeners? That there's nothing more magnificent than the true you. And each individual lives according to a set of values. And when they live in congruency with their highest values... They tend to have the most governance, most order, most wellness factor, most inspiration, most fulfillment. And so live authentically according to what you value most in life. It's probably the wisest thing I could probably say in 30 seconds. You've spent the past 27 years traveling and teaching around the world, and you're in Australia quite a bit. What's changed since you were last here? I've been coming to Australia since 1994. I've been teaching 47 years. So I've been doing it a bit. But Australia has definitely been advancing technologically. I've seen that. But I don't know if it has advanced in the healthcare system as much. I would totally agree with you on that one. I've noticed that when I first came here, I didn't see as much obesity as I see today. In America, that's been pretty consistently escalating. In Japan, you don't see that as much. But in Australia, I've noticed it's climbed a bit. So there has been an observation that maybe westernization from um, America has had some influence. When I first came here, I noticed that everybody had cell phones. In America, they didn't have that. You guys were ahead on cell technology. But you were a little bit more down-to-earth on dietary things even 25 years ago. 
but it seems like there's been a fast food or something. Somehow there's been a little bit of an escalation in the area of eating to make sure that there's plenty of food in you. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting observation. As somebody that's lived here in Australia my whole life, it is it is a really <clears throat> profound thing to witness the population increasing in width. Well, it, it, it is noticeable. <laughs> yeah. Because, like I say, when I'm in Japan, you see about maybe three out of 100 that are a bit overweight. And now I'm seeing more like 30% here in Australia, yeah. 30%, 35%. And I saw even 25 years ago, I didn't seem to see that. Now, it could be my misinterpretation. It's not a scientific study. But I definitely noticed that there has been an increase, at least in the attendees, there's a larger collection so I'm assuming that there's a little bit more sedentary and a little bit more activity in the food area. Mm, mm, you're very right, actually, with your observation. So you've travelled to over 150 countries. Yeah. And you have an amazing team who support you professionally. It's primarily because I'm incompetent in so many areas. <laughs> and I'm, you're honest. I'm, I'm, I'm good <laughs> in researching, writing, travelling and teaching. And after that, I don't do anything else. Love it. I'm useless everywhere else. So in respect to that... Uh, who are the people that you surround yourself with in your closest circle of influence? You know, that varies day to day. I've really been blessed to meet amazing people. I had a dream when I was in my 20s to meet people that had global influence. And so every time I would do that, I would keep a record of it. And that's 2037, I think I've got calculated. I've had some sort of influence, either prime ministers or celebrities or Somebody who's made a major difference in business, religion, something. And I've been blessed to meet probably in the last, I'd say, two weeks. I probably met 40 people that wow. have global influence. So I, I can't say that I hang out with them all the time. I just keep being in situations where I get to interact with them, either in movie settings, film production, or in my seminar, or somehow in consulting, or doing a television show and they happen to be there. It's just the nature of what I do today that I'm surrounded by people that do have an influence, which is inspiring to do because it was a goal that I had when I was younger. And now that I guess if you stay with something long enough, everybody else dies out and you end up getting what you want in life. Your vibe attracts your tribe. <laughs> your vibe attracts your tribe. And, you know, it's it was a clear intention to do so. And I think that had some influence on the synchronicities of making that happen. Do you feel you're the average of the five people you hang around the most? Yeah, I think that I always say in my Breakthrough Experience program that whatever we see in others, we have inside ourselves. And sometimes we're too proud or too humble to admit we have it. But the truth is we have it. There's nothing missing in us. At the level of the essence of the soul, nothing's missing. At the level of the existence of the senses, things appear to be missing. Yeah. And so we sometimes judge ourselves and put ourselves above or below people instead of put them in our heart. And nobody's worth putting on pedestals or pits, but everybody's worth putting in the heart. And the second you see that, then you, you realize that we all have those same behaviors just in different areas based on our values that make us unique. They manifest differently and yeah, uniquely. So, so, so when I meet people that are high, in, high influence, I feel resonant with them. But I also meet people that have less influence, and I can learn something from everybody. So I... Sometimes I look at the efficiency. I was in a township of South Africa, and uh, it's some extreme poverty. But I was looking at the efficiencies of how they recycle things. And I thought, I wonder if corporations could do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I, there's, there's something to learn from almost every sector of society and almost individual you meet. 
100%. Either learning about what their values are and learning the art of how to communicate in them or learning how to learn some of the areas that you may have been completely oblivious to that they see. So there's something to be learned by almost everyone you meet. That's so poetic. I love it. So as a high achiever, you've turned your adversities into your biggest advantages. And in your book, The Breakthrough Experience, you suggest the bigger the crisis, the larger the blessing. Over the past year, what would you say has been your greatest challenge and how has it blessed you? Well, probably over the last year, more like, I would say, deadlines that I've created for myself. Right. Uh, to get things written, to keep up with my writing schedule, or sometimes getting to locations. I have sometimes very intense schedules, and sometimes my team forgets to put lunches and dinners and sleep in there. <laughs> and so I sometimes uh, have a bit of uh, sleep deprivation, sometimes getting to and from. Like I may land at 7 in the morning and start a program at 8 o'clock, and it'll go to midnight, and then I'll have to fly out that night and start a program in another city, those kind of t- schedules. So not because I don't love doing it. I'm ultimately responsible for that because I say, they say, would you want to do this? And I said, absolutely. So just figure it out and, and I'll rest on the plane and meditate or something. So it's not that, but I, those are challenges. So deadlines on writing, getting to locations in case there's flight delays. Really, that's it. I don't, I, I've delegated most everything else, so I don't deal with most of those yeah. things. I, sometimes I deal with hotel issues, which are quite fun. Extrinsic challenges. So, yeah, sometimes I have, <laughs> like in Las Vegas, I had a union issue, and they said that uh, they had to serve a certain type of food and had a certain thing, and I said, well, I have no interest in that. So we refused to do it. So we had everybody just go and get food and come back, and it functioned, because what they wanted to serve was not something that, it wasn't the food we would be eating. Yeah. So I wanted real food, not the stuff they wanted, rich kind of stuff. So we have to sometimes, you know, punch heads on communication sometimes. We get frustrated sometimes by the, the rules and regulations that some organizations try to impose, and that's just normal. But those are about my biggest challenges. Well, they're real challenges. Yeah. Because when you're functioning at, you know, such a high level and you're serving at such a, a beautiful place, these are the things that are really part of your everyday. Most of the time it's all delegated out. But yeah. sometimes I have to go in there and chat with the hotel uh, management, and I said, listen, get reasonable. Yeah. Get real. Yeah. Otherwise, I'll go to another hotel. You're, you're, you're the one passing up a 1,000 <laughs> people in a room. If you don't want a 1,000 people and 200 cool. people staying in your hotel, then I'll just go somewhere else. Yeah. I, I, I have to leverage that and communicate that sometimes. Because yeah. sometimes they're just, there's eagles and ducks, as they say. Sometimes you get an eagle and they're just, they work with you, and then sometimes you get a duck that has a, they're by the rules kind of thing. And you've just got to go in there and get it done. I'm just one result, that's all. Like what you've heard so far? Head on over to loslife.com, that's L-O-Z-L-I-F-E dot com, and download my five simple hacks to level up your life today. Now, back to the show. So you talk about the equilibrium of life and how pleasure and pain coexist synergistically to balance each other out. When's been the most recent moment in your life where you've experienced this universal law of divine justice in action? Well, I think it's in the stream of consciousness. If you take a sliver of time out of any moment in your journey, they're there. But you may be conscious of one and unconscious the other. So if you ask the proper intuitively guided questions you can see the realization of those two pairs of opposites, the, the, the complementation of those at any time. So 
it goes on moment by moment through every second. I worked with a lady yesterday in the breakthrough experience in here in Brisbane where she had a husband that was violent to her. And I said, I asked her, I said, so that was the pain side. So who is the overprotectors? And she goes, what do you mean, who are the overprotectors? Nobody. I said, look again, get present in the moment when they was actually violent. And she goes, oh my God, my grandmother and my mother. I said, can you see that they were trying to keep you protected and overprotecting you? If they overprotect you, they keep you juvenilely dependent. And then you attract more of the aggression to make you precociously independent because maximum growth and development occurs at the border of support and challenge. And she looked at that and I said, let's go to another moment. And we went through eight different examples of where her husband had been aggressive and where she was being overprotected and supported by people. Sometimes it was her kids, but usually her mother and grandmother kept stepping in and sometimes a support group. And the more they were trying to do that, the more aggressive he was becoming. Yeah. And so I showed her the pairs of opposites and she goes, okay. Then I took a moment when her husband was supporting her and very gentle. Whenever she was supporting his values, he was gentle. Whenever she challenged his values, he'd get aggressive. So I showed her that she was participating in the dynamic. And then when she was getting support and gentle from him, she was getting attacked by the kids. And sometimes her mother was attacking her. And she goes, so what are you saying? I said, well, you get a pair of opposites. And if you don't see that, and because you're conscious of one and unconscious of the other, you split yourself up and create an emotional thing that's stored in the subconscious mind. But if you see both of them, you liberate yourself and you don't have false expectations of a one-sided world. So you really experience this every day in your life. It's I, such a I normal, deal, it is, it's a divine law. I deal with yeah. it every day because I'm either teaching and I'm interacting with people or consulting or some sort of relationship with people. And I, I've been watching it in my own life for many, many years and helping other people do the same. It's such a beautiful thing. I, um, I'm only halfway through your book, Dr. Martini, and I coach that's part of my journey. I'm at the very beginning of my coaching journey and there's no way I would compare myself to the end of yours, but I look up to somebody like yourself and I catch myself doing everything that's in your book with my clients. And it's just, it makes so much sense. It's been an absolute catalyst to change. And the clients that come to me and are just with so much gratitude and love and they say, I, I just never looked at my life that way. And it's so beautiful to be able to see that and help people actualize that in their own life too. One of the most fulfilling things I get to do is watch people's lives transform. Yeah. I think whenever you do something that is labeled a service for people, that meets some value in their needs in their life, and they get the result of what you and they intend in some sort of a sustainable transaction, you get a deep meaning and a deep fulfillment out of making some sort of contribution and getting rewarded in a fair exchange for it. So, I Win-win. A, I, it's a win-win, and I, I'm very blessed in my life. I've been, I learned from Zig Ziglar when I was 20. So this is 45 years ago. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I learned from him that if you help other people get what they want to get in life, you get what you want to get in life. Well, it's your little love cup getting filled up. And so I, I have no problem going out and being service to people because I, I'm rewarded. I'm not an altruist sacrificing me for people. I'm not a narcissist sacrificing them for me. I'm realistic in the sense that I know that those have to be in a sustainable way, fair exchange. And it comes from a place of authenticity as well. And if you do that, and if you're doing something you love doing, you know, you can't wait to get up in the morning and be of service. People can't wait to get that service. So there's no doubt you've engineered an extraordinary life. As you approach your 65th birthday, what's your number one tip to maintain vitality? I have a pretty intense schedule. I do about 18-hour days, seven days a week. And uh, people wonder where I get the energy I think doing what you love every day does make a difference. 
I don't live to eat. I eat to live. I learned that from Paul Bragg when I was 17. And I, you know, I had some fresh fruit and I had some grains and I had some yogurt and I ate last night a bowl of soup and some multigrain toast. I eat food. For nutrition? <laughs> yeah. I'm aware of nutrition. I'm aware of eating and I think I eat well and I drink nothing but water. I've had three cups of coffee my entire life and a, maybe a cup of tea. I don't drink things that cause volatility. I just drink water. That's fascinating. And, and uh, maybe some vegetable juices occasionally. And that's it. And I think I had some Roboist tea in South Africa one time, yeah, which right. is herb tea. I don't put something into the body generally that's not somehow helpful to the body. And I think that has a, a difference. And you're doing what you love every day. I think that makes a difference. And I breathe diaphragmatically. Many people I find don't. And I think that has a vitality factor. And uh, you know, I, I'm more moderate in some areas. And some people are more volatile because they go to extremes. And I'm extreme in the sense of my schedule. I have a very intense schedule, but it doesn't seem like work to me because I'm doing something I love to do every day. Do you time block times to move and exercise? Because when I got here, I noticed you were tapping your foot. And yeah, I move, I move constantly because of my sitting on planes and standing all day. I train myself for, for the purpose of that. But I did the 42 push-ups this morning and some sit-ups. Love it. And I, I jogged in standing jog, you know. I do things like that. I live most of the time in a hotel. I live on a ship when I'm not in a hotel, and I sail around the world. But I basically do little simple things. I don't go to the gym so much, and I just do my own private workout and some yoga. I'm going surfing next month on my 65th and on the North Shore of Oahu. So I'm, I used to live on the North Shore, and I was a big wave rider, so I'm going to go and do some big wave riding on my birthday, 65th. So as a well-traveled human, you've created the opportunity to sample a array of global cuisine. Now, we just spoke before about eating for nutrition rather than necessarily eating for taste. So you want to feel satisfied and feel that you're fueling yourself at your most optimal capacity. If you knew you only had 24 hours left to live, what would your day's menu look like? No different. Usually a bowl of fruit. I have some yogurt and I have some multigrain cereal or toast or something. I would probably have either soup, maybe a multigrain chicken or turkey sandwich or something, some fish. I mean, typically, when I, when I was in London last week, most of the time I had fish, spinach, carrots, vegetables, some grain bread or some brown rice. At lunch, I had some salmon and some brown Guinness bread. Mm -hmm. And breakfast, I had my same thing, fruit. I'm a simple guy. I don't have any desire for rich cuisines and... And, and I don't, I'm not interested in sitting and eating for hours. I usually eat and get to work. Do you eat a lot of red meat? I probably had six ounces of red meat in 47 years. Wow. And what about milk and dairy? If there's some yogurt, I'll eat yogurt. Occasionally a little thing of cottage cheese. But just drinking milk, I don't drink. There's a lot of synergy there. I follow a very similar routine. And, yeah, and, more of a kind yeah. of a Mediterranean diet. Yeah, yeah, same. And I always say if your diet has a label, then you shouldn't be on it. Yeah, I, uh, I'm pretty simple, and, and I don't have a desire. For, I haven't put salt or sugar on any form of food in 47 years. I don't use salt. I don't do sugar. There's none of those things, honey. I don't use anything. I don't need to do anything yeah. to the food. I like steamed carrots. They taste as good. And steamed spinach. And, and people sometimes laugh at that. They go, 
that's a strange thing. Even the fancy restaurants, you sure you don't want this? I said, I just want some carrots and spinach. And You just remind me of myself so much. <laughs> yeah, I just... I, I, People think it's weird, but you're just like, I, I, that's I, I all really, I want. I really don't care. I'm yeah. not interested in whether they like me or yeah. not. I'm interested in feeling my body. I'm a pretty steady guy, and I'm... You know, I go all day. I, I did my presentation this weekend. I started at 8 in the morning, went till 2 in the morning. And then I went back and started at 10. And then we went all the way to 9.30 last night and went on. And we were going all day. And I and people go, you're crazy. And then I had meetings after that and I had correspondence and then a webinar late last night till 2. So that's not uncommon for me. Mm. And the energy levels are pretty consistent. Yeah. So what would you say would be your healthiest habit and why? Drinking lots of water. How much do you think you drink in a day? Do you metricize it? I don't sit and measure it, but I would probably say a couple quarts of water. Okay. And finally, you're quite the veteran when it comes to interviews. I'd love to know, what's a question you've never been asked but wished you had? I like spontaneity, so whatever people ask is fine with me. And if I don't know, I just tell them I don't know. If I know, I'll elaborate. But I did have a funny one. I had a... I was interviewed by Vogue magazine in, in uh, America, and they asked me 17 questions. And the very last question that they asked was, Dr. Newmartini, if there's anybody in the world you would, could be, who would you be? And I thought, what a strange question. Why would I want to be anybody but me? And they said, really? And they go, why would I want to be anybody but me? I, I love my life. It's a fantastic life. Why would I want to be somebody different? Oh, well, you're the first person ever answered that. And I was going, that's an odd, odd thing. I always say depression is a comparison of your current reality to a fantasy you're addicted to. Why would you want to compare your life to something other than what it is and then not appreciate your life? It doesn't make sense. Totally agree. I'm absolutely stoked that we could have this chat and I look forward to continuing this conversation really soon. Yes, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us this week on the Healthy Habit Hot Seat. Make sure to visit loslife.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google Podcasts and Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, I'd be stoked with a five-star rating on iTunes. Better still, tell a friend and share the love. If you loved this episode, you might want to check out my book, The Healthy Habit Handbook, available in soft cover, ebook and audio form on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Balboa Press and all good bookstores. Be sure to tune in for our next episode for your fortnightly dose of inspiration from some of the world's most successful and healthy lifestyle masters. Remember, stay inspired. I'm Loz Antonenko and ciao for now. Ciao for now.